a couple years ago, uh, uh, a number of years ago, actually more than a couple, uh, I used to listen to uh, a weekly radio broadcast. Uh, it came on on Saturday afternoons. In fact, I can remember the first time that I ever listened to this broadcast. I was uh, I was over here in Bluefield. I was trying to buy uh, me a car, and uh, I was driving around car lots and looking at cars, and I heard this guy on the radio. He came on a local Bluefield station. This fellow's name was Dr. Joseph Chambers. I, I'm not sure if he's still alive or not. Uh, if he is, I'm sure he, he's very well up in years. But Dr. Chambers, uh, he was a brave soul. He was an old holiness preacher. And in that, he, he, that he was a brave soul, uh, he would have a call-in segment every Saturday afternoon as part of his program. His main central focus was, was on the end times and the coming of the Lord or the second coming, the rapture of the church, we call it. And that, that brave old soul, Dr. Chambers, would have this call-in segment every Saturday afternoon. Uh, I have vivid, vivid, uh, vivid, very, very vivid, actually, recollection of some of the callers that would call in. Many of them had questions and they were inquisitive. They wanted to learn. And then there's with those that would call in that would, uh, actually they would want to argue with him. They would uh, want to debate him. And sometimes they would uh, become quite hostile. Sometimes there was even people that were Satanists that would call in on his program. And you say, Lord, that's terrible. No, that's a good thing because that means somebody that's following the devil's hearing the word of God. Those, those are not always negative things. But um, I remember on one occasion... One particular caller that called in, and judging from the voice, it sounded like it was a younger uh, male voice. And that that person called in to challenge this old seasoned pastor. Dr. Chambers on that Saturday was teaching on consecration and sanctification. And this young caller, uh, he became very argumentative with him. He, uh, he wanted to argue about whether or not a person could live above sin. Listen, I know none of us in this room. I I know the word, I'll quote the word, that we've all sinned and fell short of the glory of God. And no one was suggesting perfection, but apparently that's the way this young man was interpreting what was said. And in his argument about uh, living above sin, uh, it seemed like Dr. Chambers was not really getting anywhere with this young man and 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 when you're arguing quite honestly that you're not really communicating at all in fact I say arguing arguing is the lack of communication but i remember how dr chambers ended that conversation in this conversation he said young man i want to ask you a question he said can you live the next minute of your life without sinning. The young man said, sure I can. He said, can you live the next two minutes without sinning? He said, I would suppose so. I think that's possible. He said, well, why don't you just make it a point to live your life a minute or two at a time? Wow. 
That, that, that really caught my attention, and though that has been many, many years ago, it's been probably close to, to 30 years ago, I, I remember it very, very vividly. Why don't you just live your life for the Lord a minute or two at a time? Now, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like for you to go to Psalm 118. I gave you that backdrop to uh, to give you an idea of what I'm going to preach to you about this morning. As you go to Psalm 118, we're going to read, for sake of time, we're just going to read some scattered verses of Scripture. In verse number 6, Psalm 118, verse number 6, and I pulled these scriptures out of the New American Standard uh, Bible, by the way. It's just because of the particular uh, way the English words were put together in the NASB. Verse 6 of Psalm 118 reads as such. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Wow, what a statement. What what a statement and what a question. The Lord is for me, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Skip down a ways in that same psalm to verse 17. And in verse 17, you see, the psalmist talks about that, I will not die, but live. And I will tell the works of the Lord. Then if you go on down a little bit further, skip down just a few more verses, and you read, and, and I encourage you, I invite you to read this entire psalm at your, at your own leisure. But going down to verse 24, a very familiar, a very familiar psalm to most of us. Even if we can't, don't know where it was at or chapter and verse, we, most of us in this room and have been around church any uh, length of time, we know this. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Remember that little course we used to sing, you Pentecostals, in the room? This is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made, that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice, I will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. Hmm? We know that one. Verse 25, please, O Lord, do save us. Please, O Lord, do send prosperity. The psalmist wasn't talking about a new Corvette or Cadillac or pickup truck with monster tires on it there. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. A prophetic psalm about the coming of the Lord. And then verse 27, the psalmist penned, The Lord is God, and He has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice to the horns of the altar with cords. Establishing the praise and the glory that the Lord is due. I want to minister to you this morning with the thought in mind of all in a day. Don't forget about my little story I told you. About the young man that the old preacher said, Young man, why don't you just live your life a minute or two at a time? 
I want to preach to you with this thought all in a day as I've entitled this message. And some of you in the room, some in this room never lived this and I feel sorry for you. But the 60s and the 70s, they were good years. I want you to know that. They were good years. I feel for you younger people that didn't get to live in the 60s and 70s. Larry's over there bouncing his head just a little bit. Back in the 60s and 70s, we had the coolest cars and the best music. Okay? You'll never see a Honda Accord that will look anything like a 66 or a 67 Chevelle. I want you to know that. You'll never see a Lexus that will look like that 55 Chevrolet that's, that's tucked away back here in the corner. You don't have, you don't have the cool music where you can understand the words and, and the harmony of the music. You know, I'm sorry if you're young enough in this room that you missed all that. I, but you can go back and listen to these oldie stations and you can catch up and you can always Google things like this on the internet. That's what I did. And this summer, when they start cool cruising nights up in Princeton, go up and get just a little bit of taste of what it was like in the 60s and 70s. You say, man, you're old preacher. I know I am. I had a student, I had a student at uh, youth camp last year. I said, I, I was talking to this little kid and I, I thought I probably knew who his mom and dad is. Cause see, I'm doing second generation, my second generation of students. Uh, some of them are probably close to, closely approaching a third generation of students at youth camp. And I asked this one little boy, I said, who is your, uh, who is your dad? And he was telling me who his dad is, and I wasn't quite sure. I said, how old is your dad? He said, I really don't know how old he is. I just know he was born way back in the 1900s. Okay? So, I, okay. 60s and 70s, it was great. I, I've told you all, I wasn't raised in church, uh, a church-going family, although my family considered themselves... Uh, God-fearing people, my I, my family wasn't saved. I didn't grow up in a church-going family. Um, I understood nothing about the plan of salvation, and and when I did get saved, I was totally oblivious to the keeping power of Jesus Christ. I didn't know anything about the. The Old Testament illustration of the Passover lamb coming through and, and the blood-stained paint on the doorposts and across the lintel of the, of the houses to, to be a blood covering when the death angel came through. I knew nothing about that. I heard nothing about that. I was ignorant and I was unlearned when I got saved. In fact, I can remember going to youth group. That's how I got engaged in the church. I remember going to youth group and, and Heath and Madison, this is the importance of youth group. I remember coming to youth group and, and they had like scripture scrambles and things like that and, and Bible quizzes back in those days and, and like we played class crew classroom quiz where they spun a wheel and then you got to pick an answer off the board and, and answer that question. And, and, and somebody asked, uh, the, the whoever was leading youth group asked a question. The answer to the question was Elijah. And I did not know who Elijah was. Somebody whispered in my ear, Elijah, but I didn't understand what they said in my ear. And I yelled out to the top of my voice, 
And you Hank Williams fans will get this. Kalaja! Kalaja was a wooden Indian that stood by the door. Missing his Choctaw maiden. I was ignorant. I was unlearned. You say, you might still say, you're still ignorant, preacher. But I'm trying, okay? I was ignorant and I was unlearned. I, I, I got saved in that. And, 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 and as I got saved in that, I was oblivious to everything. The only thing that I, that I was learning from for the larger part, I was just watching everybody else around me and watching how they did church and watch, and listening to what they thought and what they believed. And, and, and I found myself, um, if you would, for many years trying to dot all the I's and cross all the T's. I, and I struggled. I, in my in my first five years of of Christianity, of being a Jesus follower, I probably backslid fifteen hundred times. Okay, and I'm not suggesting that that we live, pardon my expression, but loosey goosey lives. I'm not suggesting that at all. But what I am here to tell you today is Jesus called us to go out and make disciples. I love the church that I got saved in. I love the people that was there. But I really did not have anybody to come along and develop me and make me into a disciple. I sort of was on my own. I was sort of, I I was learning it as I went. That's not such a bad thing. But yet I look back and for many, many years I struggled. I struggled with understanding as I was attempting to cross the T's and dot the I's. Uh, a lot of the decisions, a lot of the things that I did, I did out of fear. A lot of the things I believed, I believed out of fear. I grew, I, I came into the church and I grew up in the day when, when, uh, you couldn't play sports in high school or be in the band because if you was at the ball game when Jesus come, you was going to be left behind. You didn't, you didn't go to a, a movie theater if, even if it was Mickey Mouse playing because if you was in a movie theater when Jesus come, you was going to be left behind. You know, I, I grew, I, I grew up in that. I, I started out in that and, and, and a, a lot of those condemnations, not necessarily convictions, I took on. The reality is, the problem wasn't with the Lord. The, the problem wasn't necessarily with my church. The problem is, is I didn't understand the work of salvation. I lacked confidence in salvation. You see, for me to lack confidence in salvation would be like the, the, the Jew in the, back in the, in the first, in the, when the Passover came, and it would be like the old Jewish dad that painted blood over the doorpost of the house and down the sides, but yet he, he refused to lay down and go to sleep, and he sat at the door with a shotgun in his hand, hoping to shoot the death angel if, if it did come through the door, because he would be believing that the blood would not be sufficient enough to protect the home. Does that make sense? You know, sometimes, sometimes even though we don't say it or we don't verbalize it, 
Sometimes in our Christian experience, if, if, if we're not careful, we do not respond or react like we're confident that the blood of Jesus is enough to save us. Therefore, we begin to do works. We'll do this or that, or we will not do this or do that. You see, there's, there's works that we do. And the worst works that we refrain from. And, and, and I'm not saying that our works are good because faith without works is dead. But, but when it comes down to our salvation experience, let me, let me, uh, uh, again reiterate that what we find is we have a lack of confidence or we have a lack of understanding in the power of the blood of Jesus. My learned behavior, my ignorance, whatever you want to call it, kept, kept me in doubt of what the blood of Jesus had done in my life. My salvation often served to torment me more than it brought me joy. Or what I knew as a salvation experience. I would, I spent, I would lay hours, I would lay awake at night worried and wondering what happens if I don't make it to heaven. What's going to happen if I go to hell? I spent time worrying about, what if I fail you tomorrow, God? I've served you this long, but what if I fail you tomorrow? I sat in a church service on a Sunday night, and, and I listened to a preacher preach, and, and that preacher preached, God love his heart, he meant well, but he preached and he said, if you don't, he said, you can be saved, but if you don't do this, this, and this, you will not get into heaven. And that preacher was in error, but I didn't know it at that time. I, I was I was ignorant. I was oblivious to these things. I spent more time worrying about what was going to keep me out of heaven than rejoicing about who was taking me into heaven. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. I would find that I, I would worry about things, about what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen next week, what's going to happen next month, what's going to happen next year. When Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, Paul wrote, uh, a, a particular phrase in, in his letter to the church at Corinth. And he said this, Today is the day of salvation. Today is all that any of us have. See, we don't, we don't have tomorrow yet. Yesterday's gone, whether you realize it or not. It's, it's gone. It's history. It's over with. It's, it, it, it's finished up. Tomorrow hasn't got here yet. If it gets here, we will live in tomorrow when it arrives. But the reality of it is, Paul said today is the day of salvation. And we use that and we take that in consideration when we're trying to lead people to Jesus. Today's the day you need to be saved. But understand, in my life and your life, today is still the day of salvation. This is the only day that we have currently. Because yesterday's gone. And tomorrow hasn't gotten here. We can repent over some things from yesterday, but we can't relive it. It's gone. It's to not be retrieved. So today it is. I mentioned the uh, the 70s, as you still see up on the screen. The 70s cars, the 70s music, and all like that. And that's when I got saved, was in the 70s. I... Uh, Back in the 70s, there was a guy, his name was Chris Christopherson, and he wrote a song that's, Why Me, Lord, What Did I Ever Do? He and a 
And Mary John Wilkham wrote another song. And uh, as they wrote this song, uh, most of us don't know it by the two of them as the composers. But that song was very popular. In fact, that song is still fairly popular. It's been recorded by over 200 different artists, known recordings over 200 different audiences. And that song says, One day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking from you. Just give me the strength to do every day what I have to do. You still hear that song from time to time, even though it's it's been out since I think I think it originated in 1974. Older than many of you are in this room. That's where you and I come in because we just need to live for Jesus, living for Jesus all in one day. All in one day. Today is the only day you can live for the Lord. Don't worry about tomorrow. I spent the early years of my, of my Christian walk worried about how I was going to live tomorrow. I spent the early days of my Christian walk wondering, worrying, worrying. Well, what if I fail God? What if I, what if tomorrow? What if next month I fail God? I've heard people pray what I consider foolish prayers. Dear God, if you know I'm going to fail you in the future, well, of course He does. He's God. Lord, if you know I'm going to fail you in the future, take me now so I won't fail you. Those are a bit ridiculous. That prayer is a bit ridiculous. But we, God is calling us to have confidence in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, you have been sealed and you have been sealed with a promise. You have been sealed into the day of redemption. Now listen, again, I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be live consecrated lives. I'm not, I'm not saying that we should live apart from sanctification. I'm not saying that at all because I believe when the blood of Jesus is applied, behold, all the old things pass away and everything becomes new. But let me tell you something. We, every one of us in this room, every person that is watching this by video or listening to it by audio, every single one of us is a continual work in progress until they call Jim Shires or whoever uh, the agency is of your choice to come pick you up you are a work in progress and so am I and I'm not going to worry about where and how I'm going to make it next week oh Lord how how am I going to make it if if things in this country continue to go the way they're going to go I don't know Lord how I'm going to make it How I, I, I have no worries about that because all that God has called me to is live this day right now Live this day, for this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I want to share with you five C's for all in a day, living all in a day. The first thing is face each day with confidence. I'm still in Psalms 118, by the way. In Psalms 118 and verse 6, if you want to go back in your Bible, the Lord is with me. Uh, is for me. I will not fear what can man do to me. I want you to know this. God is on your side. You need to be confident that God is on your side. It doesn't matter what comes. It doesn't matter what goes. 
whatever occurs in your life, God is on your side. God is on my side. If we have put our faith and our confidence in Him, He is on your side. He did not call you to fail. He did not call me to fail. I don't know why, and I keep going back to this this morning, but 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 I'm going to. But but I don't know why I would think that God saved me. He sent His Son to die on the cross for me. That blood of Jesus washed me and cleansed me. And God just called. Uh, he sent, made a way for me to be saved in order that I could just turn around and fail. God has confidence in you. There's, we have confidence in Him. God is on our side. The psalmist penned these words of this psalm and he understood. David understood the world was against him. The devil is against you and it is against I. Even David's own people was against him. There are people that are against us. But I want you to know this. Just like David knew, God is for us. So if God be for us, who really can be against you? Amen. The second thing is, we need courage. Uh, as we need courage, keep looking in Psalms 118. Because David said there, he said, I will not fear. He said, I will not fear. 118, still in verse 6. He said, I will not fear. Listen, the psalmist was not in some hyper spiritual trance. The psalmist was not in a dream. He was not having visions in this occurrence. But he was confident of God's love for him. He was confident that the love that God had for him outweighed the hatred of man for him. Therefore, setting God's love over against man's hatred, he had no reason to be afraid. You see... If we're truly, if we're truly confident, then we shouldn't be afraid. We should, we should have courage if you would. Many of you all saw that old movie. It used to scare me to death when I was a kid, The Wizard of Oz. Uh, and in The Wizard of Oz, there was a cowardly lion. And if I remember correctly, the cowardly lion needed a heart. Uh, that, that's what made him brave. Is that right? Uh, but, but, but anyway, that line was cowardly and in the end, he was given bravery. He wasn't given anything, but this, the wizard spoke confidence over him. Listen, we got one far greater than the wizard of Oz. We've got the Lord Jesus Christ and through Him we can be courageous. We can be strong. You see, this similar courage time and time again throughout the Bible. It was the encouragement of the Father that, that, that held Jesus on the cross. It was in, Stephen was encouraged as he was being stoned to death as the first martyr in the New Testament. As he looked up and he saw his Lord seated on the throne. Paul was encouraged while he was waiting execution while he was in jail. He sang praises to the Lord all night long. He saw people saved while he was in jail. It was it was courage that, that, that kept John while he was put in a pot of boiling oil. It was courage that kept John the Revelator on that Isle of Patmos which was filled with snakes and poisonous serpents and lizards of every kind. It is courage that will keep you and I going through the difficult times. Do not fear what man 
can do to me. Do not fear me, I am full of courage. Lord, give us courage in this house this morning that we may stand against the wiles of the enemy. Thirdly, is finding contentment. This is the day in verse 24 that we read. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I want you to know this. Contentment and satisfaction go hand in hand. There's a little bit difference between the two. But yet they're close kin. Contentment and satisfaction go hand in hand. And when we think about the words of the psalm. It means that whatever comes my way today, I'm going to be satisfied. I'm going to be content. We see another place in Scripture that Paul said that whatever state I'm in, whatever circumstance that means I'm in, I've learned to be content. We struggle with that here in 2023. We've been struggling with that a long time. We're never content. We're always looking for something bigger, something better, something that more better suits me. We're, we're, we're never content. We're always looking. We're always searching. It, it, it's, it's been, it, it's been part of, it's become part of our DNA. It's part of who we are. We're always looking for the next best thing. And in a life where we're always looking for the next best thing, sometimes I have a, I have a feeling that we even let that discontentment creep over into our spiritual walk. I'm bored with the things of God. I'm bored with church. I'm bored with the Word of God. I, it really just doesn't do anything for me anymore. I need to find something new. God is calling us. And the psalmist understood the, the necessity of being content. Of finding contentment in the Lord. You know what? I'm still content that the blood of Jesus saves me. I'm still content that that blood of Jesus that saved me way back there in 1979 is still the blood of Jesus that's going to take me in whenever my time comes. It's the blood of Jesus that, that is going to, to be my stead in when I stand before God and, and, and when I'm there, it's not going to be that he's going to say, you did this or did that or didn't do that or did that. You know, yes, there's going to be a place and time that we will be rewarded for our works, but here's the thing about it. There's no work that I can do. There's nothing that I can accomplish. There's nothing that I can do within myself that is going to make me fit to stand before the Lord God Almighty of all the entire universe, all of creation, other than the blood of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, I choose to be content in His blood. And I'm not going looking for anything new because I don't need anything new. Because according to the Hebrew writer, it was a perfect sacrifice that was made and once was enough so I don't have to do anything else I don't have to go anywhere else and I don't have to believe anything else I am content with who I am in the Lord Jesus
Jesus Christ. And it took me a long time to really settle into that. And then fourthly, is our commitment. And commitment, we find commitment in verse 27. The psalmist spoke of binding the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. The festival sacrifice. The animal that has been slain. Binding it to the to the horns of the altar. To, to bind or to bound something to, to us, many times that carries a negative thought. In fact, as, as Christians, we sing songs that are unbinding, if you would. We sing songs like, break every chain. We used to do that one a lot. And we'll sing songs about, you know, uh, loose me and let me go. And we'll, we'll sing songs about being set free. And we hear so much of that in, in our music in the generation we live in. But, and, and binding or being bound has a negative, negative connotation in our mind. But let me tell you something. Here, being bound is nothing but positive. Because being bound means that the sacrifice is tightly attached to the horns of the altar. It, being bound to the horns of the altar, that means that the sacrifice is, if you would, almost in a permanent sense here. We know that physically in that day and time that the cords could have been broken or, or they could have been, uh, they could have been cut away. But the intention here is that it is permanently, the sacrifice is permanently bound to the altar. Do you realize that you and I are living, not dead, but you and I are living sacrifices to the testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we surrender ourselves to Him on the altar of repentance, the altar of forgiveness, if you would, when we submit ourselves to us, He is bound to us to the horns of that altar. And as we are bound to that horns of that altar, it is great, there is great joy because we as living sacrifices are bound securely to the altar of His presence. Listen, the work that Jesus did in your life or my life, and if you're in this room and you've never been saved, the work that Jesus did on the cross is to bound you to the altar as a living sacrifice and it is it is a work that He wants to do in your life and it's not anything to be taken lightly. It's not something that He did nonchalantly. It is something that was measured out through from the beginning of what we know as time. God knew that He would send His Son. His Son would die on the cross for you, for me, for any and everybody else in the world. And that is not to be taken lightly at all because that is the great Greatest sacrifice can give it. For the Bible says that no greater love hath any man than to lay down his life for another. And that is exactly what Jesus did for you and I. So we see confidence. And we see courage. And we see contentment and commitment getting us through a day. And lastly, we find the conquest. When we find the conquest, we have to, we can go to verse 17, still in Psalm 118, but verse 17. We face the day with conquest. The psalmist said, I shall not die, but I'm going to live. I am not going to die, but I'm not, but I'm going to live. 
and I'm going to tell the works of the Lord. There's been times, there's a couple times in my life where I literally thought I was going to die. One was in a tubing incident. I thought I was going to drown before I got rescued. Let me tell you something. That is, that is a very alarming situation to be in. Some of you have had circumstances. It could have been automobile accidents. It could have been sickness. It, it, it could have, it could have been, uh, it could have been, uh, a hunting incident. It, you know, I could go on and on and on. There, there could have been times in your life where you felt like, man, I, I'm not going to make it out of this. We were watching some westerns yesterday or intermittently yesterday, uh, at our house and, and I, and I watched them as they marched this guy out before a firing squad in one of those old Rock Hudson western movies and, and they were getting ready to shoot this guy. 21 guns pointed right at him and he's sweating, bubbling out all over his head and he, he covers his eyes as they say, ready, aim. And then the commander called him to Take down their arms. But that man thought he was going to die. 21 gunshots in his chest. There's times in our life that we may think we're not going to survive. There's times in our life that we think we're not going to live. But the word of the Lord, David says, I shall not die, but I shall live. And I will tell of the works of the Lord. So even though this is prior to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that this psalm was penned, the psalmist saw way down, and he may not even realize that, but somehow the psalmist saw the security that comes through life in Christ. Death came, but death was slain in the Lord Jesus Christ. The grave was dug, but then the grave was was robbed, if you would. It was robbed by the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Judgment was silent, and hell was defeated all through the Lord Jesus Christ. So I've got good news for you and news for me this morning. I shall live, and I shall not die. Man may take my life. My life could end at any given moment by natural causes or some incident or some accident. But I want to tell you, uh, uh, this whole fleshly body here, it came from dust to dust. It's going to return. But the real person, the, the and, and some of you have asked me before and I've never told you, but the Norse Ralph, that's what the Norse stands for. The Norse Ralph Taylor Jr. that is inside of me is going to live on and on and on because the word of the Lord says, I shall live and I shall not die. And even after I'm dead, if I live my life true to God, I'm going to still be proclaiming and testifying because somebody is going to walk by a gravestone someday or something like that. Or somebody's going to pour, pull out an old video or go back and, and watch old Facebook videos about 40 years from now. And they say, there's that old preacher, you know, over there in West Virginia. And man, he's been gone for a lot of years, but he's still preaching. He's still alive. Listen, I shall live and I shall not die. And I will continue to proclaim the word of the Lord. Because we have been made more than conquerors through the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to realize tonight, live every single day of your life with confidence, with courage, with contentment, with commitment, and live it as in conquest because you are more than a conqueror in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, this psalm 
We find this psalm in a section of, of the psalms. If you subdivide the psalms, you find that this psalm is in the last section. Psalm 113 through 118 are called the Hallel or the pro, and more common name for us in this day and time is the doxology. The doxology. It's David station WDAVID signing off. David had come down to a time in his life that uh, hey, he had confidence in his Lord. I believe David was a man that lived for the Lord a day at a time. He had to. And I'm not suggesting there's anything wrong with financial planning. I'm not suggesting there's anything wrong with canning fruits and vegetables and, you know, uh, keeping a full tank of gas in your car. That's not the kind of stuff I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is, is don't worry about how you don't live for Jesus tomorrow. Don't worry about how you don't live for Jesus next month if you don't, if you don't keep yourself in right relationship with Him next month. Don't worry about if I'm going to be, if I'm going to be able to live this a, a year from now. Don't, don't worry about that. Just be like that young man that called into that old radio preacher and the same advice that radio preacher gave that man. Young man, if you can live one or two minutes with, with, without, with above sin, then put your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just live one or two minutes at a time. I was talking to a young person just a couple of weeks ago and this young person was struggling with some things in, in their life and, and they were feeling very overwhelmed. They were feeling very anxious. And I looked at them and I said, you know how to eat an elephant? They said, do what? I said, do you know how to eat an elephant? They said, I don't have a clue. I said, the proper way to eat an elephant is to eat it one bite at a time. In fact, that's the only way you can eat one bite at a time. We can only live our, our Christian experience, we can only live it one moment at a time, one hour at a time, one day at a time. If I worry about tomorrow, how I'm going to, oh, if I don't make it through tomorrow, uh, hey, I ain't made it through today yet. Jesus, I need you for today. We think about that common prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. But it actually is not really the Lord's Prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. He was teaching to these disciples. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. You know, they let us do that in school when I was, you know, in grade school. Y'all remember that? Give us... This day, our daily bread. He didn't say, "Give us next week." Give us. You think about the the Israelites as as the Israelites were wandering about in the wilderness. God and they begin to grumble and complain. How are we going to make it? What's going to happen to us? Are we going to die out here? We'd have been better off to stay to stay and been slaves to the Egyptians. God said, "I'm going to send you manna from heaven." I don't know, you know, biblical scholars says manna was like a white, 
lake. I don't know. My friend Richard Kingery said he personally believed it was pinto beans. But manna actually means what is it? They didn't even know what it is, but it was the provision that God made every single day. But when you study out, when you study the scripture, you study the provision of manna. On six days of the, actually on five days of the week, it's when you technically get counting them off. But it said that you eat what you need for that day, but don't try to store it up because if you try to store up from this day to try to make it off the next day, it's going to rot. It's going to stink and it's going to be full of worms. Except on the night before the Sabbath, you can, you can collect enough to do you the Sabbath day and it will keep. But any other time, manna was this provision for one day at a time. And the Lord gives us that same provision today. Lord, I don't need you tomorrow. Well, yes, I do. But Lord, I don't need you tomorrow. At least I don't need to be worried about needing you tomorrow. I just need you today. It's all in a day. It's all in a day. Now, could I fail the Lord? Absolutely, I could fail the Lord. Am I, do, I, do I spend my time sitting around anymore worried about failing the Lord? Absolutely not. I have such confidence in my Lord Jesus Christ. I have such confidence in His Word. I don't spend my time sitting around sweating at whether or not I'm going to fail the Lord or not. Am I going to miss heaven? I cast my care and my troubles upon Him. You see, this, this, this 113, Psalm 113, it was part of the doxology. It's believed, it is believed, it's not proven, but it is believed that this, this Psalm 113, Psalm 113 is the song that was sung as Jesus departed from his disciples at the Last Supper. Because when you read the scripture, it says after they had broke bread, they sang hymns. It is believed that, that, that because the, the, David was the, uh, the Psalms was the hymn book of the old church. And it's believed that this very much. Matthew and Mark even say, and after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. What a powerful song of benediction. It was a song of not just benediction, but it was a song of edification and encouragement. Not just to that early church, not just to those disciples, but to us. So our walk with Christ, it's all in a day. Today is the only day I have. Today is the day I must walk in Him. Once a day, you some of you old country music people, once a day, every day, all day long. Some of you won't even get that. Once a day, every day, all day, day long. Not yesterday, not tomorrow. Just today. I want you to bow your heads with me. By far the greatest need in this room this morning, or even in our visual audience on streaming, is the need of salvation. If you're in this room and you need to be saved, it's a good day. Today is the day. So without any embarrassment, not prolonging anything, not dragging us out, 
If you're in this room and you need to be saved, or if you have, if you've separated yourself, distanced yourself from the Lord, we call it backslidden. And you need to get back home. You've been a prodigal. If either of those describes your situation right now, would you just slip up your hand without embarrassment? Say, Pastor, just pray for me. Anybody? Thank you. Thank you. Any others? Pastor, just pray for me. If you're in this room this morning and or again watching and you're struggling with confidence, having confidence in your salvation, you're really not sure if you're saved at all. You're really not sure if you're going to make it at all. If you're, you're struggling to be confident in your salvation, I'm constantly worrying about whether uh, possibly failing the Lord. If that's you or you're struggling with that thought, that ideal, or or any anything similar to that. Without any embarrassment, would you just slip up your hand real quickly? I struggle with having confidence in my salvation. Anybody in this room? Thank you. Any others? This is what I want to ask you to do. Uh, People raised their hand in this room this morning for the various calls at the altar. And this is what I like for us all to do. I like for us all to come and just begin to open our hearts and our lives up to the Lord. If you're one of the people that needs to rededicate yourself to the Lord or to be saved, I urge you to come. If you're one of the people that raised your hand that you struggle with having confidence in your salvation, I want you to come. But I want you to know the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient. We're going back to that night of Passover that I mentioned earlier. When the, when the death angel came through that village, through that town, And he was seeking, that death angel was seeking all the firstborn. That didn't mean just babies. That meant the firstborn, the firstborn of adult children. The ones that were taken care of were the ones that were behind the blood. They were inside the house and the blood was upon the door. If the blood is on your life, have confidence. That God has taken care of you. And he's protected you. Would it many of you all would just come. Let us come. Those of you especially that slipped up your hand. I urge you to come. And, and let's, let's just have a, uh, let's have a season of prayer if you would. Everybody that can and will come join you.